Key Aero, your aviation destination. Historic Aviation. Hello and welcome to the Fly Pass podcast. I'm Hans from Kiero. We've got Tara from Kiero as well. Hello, Tara. Hi, Hans. I normally was given an elaborate sort of job description, but I'm, I'm dispensing with that now. I no. think people, people know who you are. There's not really much elaborate anyway, so it'll be fine. <laughs> and this week joined by uh, Sam Scrimshaw. Sam, you are the Deputy Crew Chief uh, from Vulcan to the Sky Trust, aren't you? Hello. Hello, Hans. Uh, yes, I am. Uh, been involved with the Trust now. Ooh went up to eight years um and it's been a r- bit of a roller coaster ride getting to this point <laughs> yeah no uh, uh, absolutely well well let's we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it um in quite a bit of uh detail i think i think there'll be a lot of people listening who think that's quite a cool job so you basically sort of get to work with xh558 like all the time don't you yes um we do now now we do all of the the engineering work alongside taf uh, who's who's still still leading us still showing us the ropes um but we've got a great team of volunteers now who are looking after the aircraft uh, doing all the maintenance work the ground runs uh, and keeping it in top condition Tara is um I don't know whether you whether you were aware of this but Tara is um a Vulcan obsessive. There are Love there it. are many there are many Vulcan obsessives out there and it's a good thing. I think the Vulcan is a quite a good thing to be obsessed about in life, don't you reckon? Oh certainly. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I'm not going to lie though, Sam, I was uh, a little bit annoyed when I got a message from Hans a couple of weeks ago saying guess where I am and he just sent me this <laughs> video panning across XH558. I was like you jammy person i was very upset no it's quite was, some uh, view hr, down at the HR complaints <laughs> <laughs> i did um, I, I, actually, in the workplace. I did actually there was a bit there was a point actually when um when we did go and um uh do that day of filming and sam i remember you and taff going oh come up and you can you can we can have a walk around on the wing right and i was thinking that's that can't be right but let's go with it so we kind of like clambered up didn't we and then um i did actually um i did actually sort of um put my phone on Tara and record a little thing saying, hi, Tara, never guess where I am. And then I sort of like pan around to show me standing. I never actually sent that to you because I thought that would be a bit overkill. Yeah. I think yeah. I would have I was actually right, my quit instincts there was, <laughs> My instinct was right. So, <laughs> so um, Sam, so what does, a, what does a day in the life of the uh, deputy crew chief um, at Vulcan of the Sky Trust entail? It depends on, on what we're doing. Um, so through the winter, we, we do all the normal winter maintenance on the aircraft. So we'll uh, two or three times a month, we'll go down to the aircraft. We'll have a look over everything, make sure that nothing's deteriorating. And then we've got the winter maintenance schedule that we'll work through. So we've got a list of jobs that we have to look at every winter. Um, and we'll work through the list uh, and, and tick everything off so that we're ready come the spring and the summer to do the public ground runs uh, with the aircraft. And, and, and what are some of those jobs that you're, that you're mentioning there? What, what might they include? There's, there's all sorts. Um, so for me, uh, I, I look at a lot more of the electrical side of things. So one of the most exciting jobs uh, <laughs> that we have to do every year, we have to do a fuse check. So we go around all of the the power bay in the aircraft, the fuse panels in the cockpit, uh, and we check the fuses. We make sure that they're still still working and that none of them have blown. Exciting stuff. If they have, we then have to investigate why it's blown and then fix any issues that come up. 
you Very made it exciting. Sound, you, you made that. You, 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 the tone of your voice is making that sound like the unglamorous side of it. It's it's not unglamorous. Um, it's it's one of those necessary jobs. He's trying uh, to make to it keep, sound so much more glamorous than it is. <laughs> it's still it's still better than checking the fuses in your house, though. Oh, certainly. You know, um, yeah, you still. It's a bit more interesting than the house fuses. <laughs> Um, what, what what is it you know so when you're kind of you know getting getting really kind of you know in and amongst the sort of the really really unseen side of an airplane like that you know what what is it like and what have you sort of learned about you know th- th- this aircraft you know you're talking about a very iconic aircraft that is a very unique looking but no one really sees sees inside it do they to the the the, the level that you do no, it's it's quite an insight being able to see see inside the aircraft and, and all the systems that make it work. Um, for, for doing the fuse checks, we, we're in the power bay uh, down the back end of the aircraft. It's hidden away normally. Um, and that's in there. You've got all the distribution, the bus bars, the power coming in from the engine alternators, and that then distributes it around the aircraft um and that's uh, visually quite something to see um all the banks of fuses the cabling uh, the control boxes and everything there just to get the power to where it needs to be in the aircraft is it is it quite sort of in in really sort of like orderly fashion or is it a bit kind of like 1950s as you as you you may suspect it depends on which bit you look at. <laughs> the, actual, <laughs> the actual buzz bar panels are, are very quite ordered. Um, the fuses are all in number order. They're all labelled. They're all identified. But if you look behind it as the, the cabling, there's that much of it all over the bay. It's, it's quite something to see. Well, it's quite, it's quite, a, large, uh, it's quite a large thing, isn't it, uh, the Vulcan? I mean, you know, there's. I think Taff. He mentioned, didn't he, that there when they restored it, that you know, how many miles of um of of, of cabling had to be had to I be. Was, so I think he did five like miles on five his own. Five miles of cabling that Taff replaced. There's there's an awful lot of cabling <laughs> in the aircraft. Yeah, that is that is that is. But to take us back um a little bit then. So how did you how did you kind of get involved with um? I was interested to know this actually because I'm similar age to you. So I'm quite like. Let's get it out in the open. Let for you know, <laughs> yeah. we're talking about for any person listening. We're talking about cool people in their twenties. I'm imagining. I mean, not me. You know, <laughs> obviously, but you know, you two. You know. Yeah. <laughs> you know so my my involvement with the Vulcan uh, it all started at the Waddington Air Show in 2013. We we had a, a trip to the air show, a day out as a family, and uh, with one of the things we wanted to go and see was the Vulcan. Um, we live we live in Doncaster, so we knew that the aircraft was was at the airport. We'd been to see it a couple of times when it was taking off, going going to do the displays, um, and we thought, well, we'll go to the air show. We'll go and go and have a look. So we got to got to Waddington, um, parked up, and the very first thing we did was walk right down to the other end of the crowd line to go and see go and see the Vulcan. Um, we were quite lucky; they were doing what they called the underwing tours uh, of the aircraft, so it was. I think it was five pounds. Um, you had a 20, 25 minute guided tour around the underside of the aircraft uh, while the engineering crew were getting ready, preparing it for the flight. Um, I was talking to, to the guide who took us around. It was Elaine. Um, and she was saying, well, if you're interested, we could always do with some more volunteers. Um, we're always looking for new people. So I spoke to the access manager at the time, who's a lady called Tony. 
Um, and she said, you haven't got a choice. You will be coming to volunteer for us. We need some <laughs> younger faces. <laughs> and the rest, as they say, is history. Yeah, Tony. She's uncompromising. She's just yeah. sort of, it's, it's a good recruitment uh, drive, isn't it? You know, basically, you haven't got is. a choice, mate. You're, um, yeah, you're not going home. Say bye to your parents. Uh, you'll see them at the weekend. Uh, they can come back and get you there. You're working for us now. But it's that, 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 that's, that's quite cool. And I suppose, you know, it's kind of ironic in a, in, a, in a way, isn't it? Because the Vulcan to the Sky Trust, you know, with Operation Safeguard and all the, all the rest of it and, some, you know, the Green Technology Hub, you know, bringing on future generations is, is all part of the mix, isn't it, for, you know, w- w- what they want to do and telling the story of XH558. It's no, no point sort of, you know, keep, keep telling stories to people who are kind of 75 years old, is it? Because, you know, we, you, you want to get new people in, um, interested in this, don't you? Yeah, of, of course. The the younger generation is is obviously the future. Um, the aircraft is we've got to keep it maintained and and running for as long as we can. Um, so naturally, we are going to need uh, younger people who are interested in aviation, the engineering side of things, to come on board and and to actually get involved with the project. And through Operation Safeguard and the Green Technology Hub uh, that the trust are, uh, are looking to build. Um, that'll be a really good way of of inspiring the younger generation and, uh, and getting them involved in the challenges that the aviation industry will face in the future. So, so you you obviously done quite a few tours, you know, obviously pre COVID. So you take you take people around, yeah. You do those kind of underwing tours and stuff as well. So, you know, like when you're on a tour, right? It doesn't have to be aviation related, but we've all been on one of those tours. You know, but there's a little group of you. Maybe you're on holiday. Maybe you're going around a museum or something like that. And there's always one person, isn't there, that kind of like thinks they know more than the guide, right? <laughs> it's not me. That person isn't me, by the way. Have you sort of, you know, have you encountered that? You, you must have done. We do, yes. Um, recently, uh, with obviously with the issues with COVID, we've not been able to do uh, the tours and the, the experiences that we offered as much as we'd like. Um, but before that, the the tours, when we when we did them in the hangar, uh, hangar three, um, we had such a wide range of people uh, coming in to see us. It was members of the general public uh, who'd, who'd seen the aircraft flying at an air show and wanted to get up close. Uh, we had ex-crew members, ex-pilots, rear crew, uh, the ground crew who just wanted to come see the aircraft, reminisce. They couldn't bring their families. Um, and they, they were some of the really, really rewarding uh, tours and, uh, to do. When you got an ex-crew member who'd spent so much time uh, on Vulcans, flying them, maintaining them, whatever, uh, and they want to share that experience with their family, um, being able to be part of that... Uh, they they were some of the really really interesting uh, talks that you learned a lot from from those people. Um, it was it's sort of when we were doing the tours, we'd throw out uh, a, a little snippet of information about the aircraft, and you'd see um, the face light up as they remembered. Oh yes, of course Aww. that, and, and they'd <laughs> run with the story um, and and just tales of of their their life on Vulcans, uh, recount them to the families. Be able, being able to hear that was, was really quite good. Obviously, oh, go on. No, 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 you go. Go on. You're the guest. You, you first. <laughs> <laughs> there, there was also, there's always the, the odd couple of people who, who, who obviously they, they'd seen something online, they'd read a Wikipedia page 
or something. Good old they Wikipedia. Got this, right. So yeah. reliable. In the head. Um, <laughs> and it was, a lot of that was, it was trying to sort of dispel some of the myths about Vulcan. Um, Thunderball, the James Bond film, has got quite a lot to answer for. Um, do, do, Ooh, do go on. Do go expand, on. Expand, please. The, Obviously, I think it was the, the second or third James Bond film they ever made. Um, Check Wikipedia. Was... <laughs> don't rely on Wikipedia. I don't, Tara. <laughs> it was, the premise was the, the bad guys, had, they'd stolen a Vulcan bomber with its nuclear weapon loaded up and they, they landed it on, on the sea uh, on an underwater runway, um, sunk the aircraft and, and stolen the nuclear weapons from it. Obviously, James Bond comes along, finds this Vulcan underwater... Um, looks into the bomb bay. Oh, there's there's no bomb. We'll just go through this door at the front end of the bomb bay and have a look into the cockpit. Sees the crew in there, um, dead, unfortunately. Um, but that's got it's got quite a lot to answer for there. There's a bit of artistic license used. I won't lie. When I you know when I want to know something, I, I quite often go to James Bond films for my information. <laughs> Obviously. Well, according to Wikipedia, it was um, it was the fourth Bond film. Uh, but anyway, yeah. So <laughs> artistic license. I think that happens quite a lot, though. Don't you think across the board, whether it's with a like an aeroplane or a car or whatever, it's kind of easy to sort of you know, you know, to pick holes in 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 that kind of thing, I suppose, isn't it? But what are the other? So I was quite interested when you were talking about the myths. That, um, I was, was going to ask about this, actually. What are some? Yeah. What are some of those? What are some of those myths about the Vulcan? The big, the one that we get most often is uh, reheat and afterburners. Um, the Vulcan's uh, engines, it's the Rolls-Royce Olympus engine, obviously fitted to Concorde as well, where it did have uh, an afterburner module. Um, but in the Vulcan's, there's, it's no, there's no, no reheat, no afterburners. It's just a straight uh, two-spool uh, jet engine. Uh, the one of the other ones that we get quite often was was is, is surrounding the end of the flight of of five five eight. Um, obviously, two thousand and fifteen came around. Um, we'd we'd managed to do the wing modification to get the the extra two years in twenty fourteen and fifteen, um, and then at the beginning of the year, we the engineering support that was that was mandated by the CAA was with was was withdrawn by BA Systems, Rolls-Royce, and Marshalls Aerospace. Um, a lot of, there's a lot of, still quite a lot of misunderstanding about um, why the aircraft actually stopped flying. Um, a lot of people uh, believed it was down to money. Money was always something that, we, that could be, you could always find more money. Mm. Um, but with the with the engineering support being withdrawn, and with the CAA classing the aircraft in their in their complex category, um, that engineering support was was mandated by the regulations, and without it, we couldn't be issued a permit to fly, and that was it. I mean, I like I've always loved Vulcans, um, but obviously, when in two thousand and fifteen, sorry, when um, I suppose you'd been there for two years by that point, maybe you said twenty thirteen. Um, when Guy Martin's 558 documentary came out, Last Flight of the Vulcan Bomber, um, I loved that. And I always sort of think, you know, I think he tells it quite well, but yes. I don't think you necessarily, as you say, say um, 
he just sort of briefly touches on, oh, you know, the engineering's being withdrawn, I suppose. You don't really necessarily get that in-depth sort of knowledge from that, I guess. Yeah, it was it was a combination of things with the engineering uh, support being withdrawn. Obviously, Vulcan is now coming up to 60, 65, 70 years old as an airframe. Um, so a lot of the experience uh, that went into maintaining them, building them, and the, the design support that they had while they were in RAF service is, is naturally aging. Um, people, uh, their memories fade, people pass away, and the experience that you need to, to continue the, the support for the aircraft naturally fades away. Obviously, we had a, a great engineering team uh, at the time who were, who were operating the aircraft while it was flying. We've still got TAF uh, in charge of us now. Um, but we, we're moving towards uh, the, the younger generation looking after the aircraft now, passing on that knowledge that, that TAF has gained um, through all his years on Vulcans. TAF, Taf Stone, he's a, bit, he's, he's a proper legend, isn't he? He is. I'm so disappointed that I haven't met him. Every, so, every video that I've been watching, I'm like, I just want to be his friend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Start stalking him. Oh. I mean, there are there are laws against it, but you know, uh, I think right. you know he's been pre warned. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you Taft Stone, right, would be a very uh, a very uh, interesting bloke to spend a couple of hours in the pub with. I bet you know, I bet he's got some cool stories. Oh, he's got no end of stories. He's done. He's done so much through his through his career, uh, both in the Air Force and since leaving, uh, being involved with the restoration of the aircraft. The stories that he's got from from there, from operating it around the display circuit, uh, and now that we're we're a volunteer team, he's got so many quite, stories. Are you quite a you know like small close knit team, or is there quite a lot of you? Or what's the sort of like dynamic between you all? We've got quite a good uh, core of, of, of volunteers who, who mm. do the engineering work. We're sort of 10 or 15 of us um, who regularly uh, do the maintenance work and, and, and the ground runs. But we've got uh, there's a much wider pool of volunteers actually involved with the trust. We've got the, the stores down at Stratford, um, and they do, they, they, they've obviously hold all the spares for the Vulcan, um, and they've, they've got their own little team of volunteers who will go and do the events uh when we do the air shows uh we'll take the take the trailer down and we'll take some of the some of the parts that we no longer I thought you need meant you were going to take the, the vulcan on a trailer i'm thinking <laughs> just watching this thing go down the a1 yeah. reverse need a, need a very big trailer <laughs> <laughs> no so we we have we've got all sorts of of people involved with the trust um and and it's it, it's such a wide uh, variety of, of people who've got uh, supporting uh, the trust, the aircraft, and just keeping everything running. It's quite incredible, really, isn't it? It yeah. is. Yeah, it is. Another thing I found incredible uh, about it when um, when we came up to see you, Sam, was it was like the cockpit. It was um, both the cockpit itself and the kind of like getting getting up to the cockpit you didn't you know when you're kind of standing up you know standing below it looking up the uh, the ladder it looks like it's miles away i mean yeah. it kind of it kind of is it's quite a it's quite a schlep up there isn't it up the stairs and then when you get to that kind of you know the you know that that, that sort of bit where you know the other the three people would sit against that desk and then getting up to the actual two pilot seats that's actually requires some sort of dexterity doesn't it doesn't taff like describe it in his cockpit tour as a tin can it's just a tin can 
Yes, it's very, <laughs> very restricted uh, in there. You normally have a crew of five in the Vulcan, two pilots sat up on their, on their ejector seats looking out the windscreen under the canopy, uh, and then down a ladder, sort of halfway up the, the fuselage, you've got the rear crew uh, sat there. So you've got the air electronics officer on one side. He's in charge of all the, the electrical systems on the aircraft. Uh, he's got a panel where he can monitor the the output from the alternators, the AAPU, um, and make sure that they're providing the right power um, to the aircraft. He's got all of the the electronic countermeasures equipment that was on the aircraft as well. Um, you've then got the navigator plotter in the middle. So he would have the map and some of the basic navigation equipment. So he'd get you from, from where you take off to roughly where you needed to be. Uh, and then on the other side, you had the nav radar, uh, who's got the radar screen in front of him and the bombing controls. So he would he'd take over from the nav plotter um, and would be able to do that final guidance into the on the bombing run into the target and then release the weapons. But it's it's a very small uh, cockpit for five people. Um, yeah, I mean, and, and especially sure friends. <laughs> certainly have. Yeah, for seventeen hours on the way to the Falcons, yeah, you're going to be. But the, you, the, especially those two, you know, those two pilot seats, and the, it's the visibility that really, really got me. When you're sitting in, you just think you just cannot really see a thing. Can you? And obviously, when Taff explains it, explains obviously what you know. When you actually sort of start to think why it's deliberately made that way, it's not a you know yeah. a lack of engineering. Yeah, it's obviously, all, when you all done by design, it's all done by design. And you know, I suppose when you directly linked to what the Vulcan was there to do if needed, wasn't it? I mean, you didn't yeah. want a massive great um, window, did you? Um, no, no. As a nuclear bomber, um, the poor visibility was actually quite key. Um, if you're dropping a nuclear weapon, there's going to be a very bright and flash that will illuminate virtually everything uh, around. Um, and obviously, we've That's what got influenced large the paint windows. color as well, isn't it? I think. Yes. Uh, to start with, the Vulcans were in the anti-flash white scheme. Uh, and the idea of that was to reflect some of the, the heat away from uh, the aircraft in the event of a nuclear explosion. Um, but the, the small windows and the, the poor visibility was all to try and minimise the amount of light that could get into the cockpit uh, when they dropped their weapons. You, you you talked about the engine. Obviously, you uh, you do star in a in a video talking about the engine, uh, Sam. <laughs> and we did um, we positioned you, uh, didn't we? Sort of like uh, literally up, right? Yes, sort of, you know, by the, there. I'm not the sure. Lip of the intake. Sat on the lip of the intake. Quite a drop down. I mean, health and safety weren't around. We sort of thought <laughs> it was okay. I'm sure it sort of was in a in a way. Yes. But I think you've probably been up there a few times, haven't you? It was okay, wasn't it? Yeah, we as part of the part of the ground run preparations to do, we obviously have to uh, remove the intake blanks uh, for a start, and we do uh, FOD checks of the intakes to make sure that there's no no debris in in the intakes, or and and just so that if we did start the engines, um, we make sure that there's nothing in the intakes that could damage uh, the engine. Uh, the last thing we want to do is is write off an engine. And um, obviously, you, you you spoke you spoke about the Vulcan howl. Just uh, mention that a little bit because um, actually, when we were talking to uh, Jamie Ewan and Ben Dunnell about that, you know, Jamie Ewan, you say the Vulcan to him, and the first thing he says, like many people, is the howl. It's the kind howl. of famous for that sound, isn't it? 
Oh, it certainly is. It's it's unique, really. The only thing that you could possibly compare it to would be the Hunter and its blue note. Um, but the Vulcan Howl is it's it's instantly recognisable, um, and it's all it's it's all to do with the structure of the air, the air intake and the engine itself. So XH five five eight, we've got the Rolls Royce Olympus two hundred two hundred one series engines. Um, and the wider intakes that were developed for the more powerful engines, the 200 and the 300 series Olympus. Um, with the the 200 series engine, when you pass through about 93% power on the way up to, to full power, uh, that's when the aircraft starts howling. And it's all to do with, with the airflow into the intake. Uh, it it's, starts as a rather large oval hole uh, and then progresses down to the to the round hole in front of that's the front face of the intake it's a very similar effect to to blowing over the top of a milk bottle hmm. just on a, on a on a slightly grander scale <laughs> <laughs> certainly is music to your ears yeah exactly but you know i suppose when you look you know you've got the the how you've got that kind of unique look you know this and for the people who were lucky enough to to to, to see it, you know, post restoration up until 2015, this is a, a an airplane, isn't it, that really really stirs people's emotions, doesn't it? I mean, Jamie Ewan, who's the aviation news editor, he's, he said he spent he spent several years chasing it around, chasing around where, wherever it was, and people people absolutely love this airplane, don't they? They do. Um, when when we were doing the air shows, uh, it became the phenomenon of the Vulcan. It became known as the Vulcan effect. <laughs> um, people would flock to the air shows when they knew the Vulcan was flying, um, and they, it, generally speaking, the, the shows would all have record attendances when the Vulcan was flying. Um, and it's it's that effect that the people people love the aircraft. It's so recognisable. Um, what do you think it is that? creates this effect just pure sort of everything in its past or what do you think it is that creates it for me it was because the aircraft's so different to anything else that was mm. that was flying at the time uh, so when i first saw it at that waddington air show um obviously the rest of the lineup it was typhoons f-16s f-18s it was all gray small fighter jets and then the Vulcan came in, this huge triangle, uh, camouflaged, and, and it's doing very similar sort of display to what these these new modern fighter jets were doing. And that, for mm. me, was was so impressive that it, it, that's what, what started the Vulcan for me. Um, but it's it's such an iconic aircraft. There's, there's so many people who've got stories where they've been, uh, back while it was in the RAF service days, they were at school and a Vulcan flew overhead, trailing loads <laughs> of smoke from the engines. <laughs> and and it's, it's that sort of imagery um, that, that cements the Vulcan in people's minds. I never saw it fly. I, th- I think that's one of my many, many regrets in life. I say many, many regrets as if I'm some sort of, but like that is one of my many regrets is that I never actually got to see it fly before it was retired. I think that's, that will always be quite sad for me. Sorry, yes. sorry you should, you should, you should go up and see it in uh, Well, it's not going to fly Liverpool. just for me, is it Hans? You should no, just go up and have a little look, <laughs> go up and have a little look around. I've, se- I've seen a Vulcan in person. Of course, I've just not I know. seen it fly. No, I know it is. It is really sad, isn't it, to sort of to 
to think that you know that probably won't happen again but uh, look, i mean but ultimately look i mean it is you know we're lucky to you know to sort of still have it there and obviously with the green technology hub and operation safeguard you know to to, to be able to see it to still go and get really you know get up close to it will still be an amazing i think because it is it is still an incredible thing to see isn't it you know in in the flesh moving on up yeah, and that's that's what we're trying to build back towards. Obviously, when we were in Hangar Three, we had this this great experience where people would come in, they'd see the aircraft up close. We had the tours, we did we did all sorts when we were in Hangar Three, uh, and we we want to be able to do, offer that again to people in the new hangar. Um, the plan the plan will be we'll resume doing all the, the tours uh, the hangar will be open we'll have the green technology hub as well we'll have some of the big events that we used to do um, we had the families days we'd, we'd have all sorts come into the hangar um, in, in other uh, experiences we had the army in a couple of times with some of their some of their vehicles um, we've had visiting cockpits um, and and the families could could come in they'd spend the day in the in the shadow of Five five eight with all this other stuff that we we brought in, um, and we want to be able to offer that to people again. We want to be able to to show the aircraft off to people again and, and use it as a as, as a bit of a tool to inspire people into uh, the into the into the aviation industry and and to to uh, to combat some of the challenges that the industry will face in the future. Oh, well, you know, you're all doing a, a fantastic job, um, and uh, you know we look forward. We shall look forward to following the progress, uh, you know, and uh, in time getting into the uh, green technology hub. It's um, all the plans look amazing. So, uh, you know, let's hope hope it all uh, goes swimmingly, all comes to uh, fruition. Well, look, Sam, look, thank you very much for uh, for your time. I bet you uh, you'll after straight after recording this podcast, you'll be going back to five five eight, won't you? Doing a bit of tinkering around. We've got plenty of work to do. Uh, <laughs> those those fuses aren't going to sort themselves, are they? They're certainly not. <laughs> well, look, thanks very much for your time, Sam. Uh, much appreciated. Not a problem, Hans. Cool. Good to and, speak uh, to you. Yeah, and, and to you. And uh, thanks, Tara. Thank as you. Ever, as yep. ever. And uh, <laughs> thanks to uh, everyone uh, for listening. Um, see you again same time next week. This has been a podcast from Key Aero, your aviation destination. Remember, visit www.key.aero for more of the same. Thanks for stopping by, and we hope to catch up with you again soon.